Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Hunter and your name is Hugh. Uh, and Hugh, you got some very important information to share with us, I think. Do I? Yeah, you're so fucking keen on waiting for the podcast to tell us how you're doing. So let's let's get on with it. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing great. You still you still got a job? Still employed. That's good. Technically. Operating at about uh, you know, twelve hours a week, ten to twelve hours a week. <laughs> They're just shaving it down every week pretty much. Getting the uh, supplementary income from Services Australia. Well, hopefully you uh you know, start uh pick picks back up in uh Australia there in a little bit. Mm. We're on the pathway to opening up again. So the government has announced like a three-stage plan. Mm. The first of which has just come into effect, although to different degrees depending on which state you're in. And I think it allows for restaurants and cafes to accommodate up to 10 people. Mm. And there hasn't been like a jump in infections or anything like that? It's only just started, so... We shall see. I'm not. I, I'm not actually 100 percent sure if Victoria has implemented that particular policy. But mm. so, depending on the size of the restaurant, like if it's do, a cafe, you know someone I would, somewhat viable. <laughs> I would smash. What? <laughs> do you want to know a person that I would I would have sexual intercourse with? <laughs> uh, okay, it's a new segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Marie Kondo. Just want to put that into the ether. Good one. <laughs> right. It's it's topical. Have you been watching the life-changing magic of tidying up or whatever? No, no. I think I think her uh, her philosophy is abhorrent. You do. Yeah. Why is that? I enjoy objects. Right. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> but your penis doesn't care about her philosophy. <laughs> no, it only cares about how fucking hot she is. So. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Are you happy that I interrupted you <laughs> to tell you that? Hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like Ayn Rand, you know. As in Marie Kondo is as hot as Ayn Rand. <laughs> no, no. Not quite that hot. She's hotter than Ayn Rand. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, anyway, you were talking about your job or something. No, I was talking about the fact that, like, if you, depending on the size of your business, if it's a small cafe, mm. you know. You could probably get by on ten patrons at a time. Maybe. Yeah, that's true. Especially if you if your you know income is supplemented by uh, uh, takeout orders and stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're a proper full size restaurant, you would yeah. just be losing money. <laughs> yeah. Because of the overheads and the tiny margin of profit. Hmm. Well, apparently Marie Kondo lives in uh, L.A. Huh. Wow. Maybe you should go have a layover. Yeah, maybe I should. Maybe I should quarantine with her, am I right? You'll show her the life-changing magic of your penis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to write a, a sequel fuck about how she should keep all her objects. Which I came into effect after every way had mind, mind erasing sex, you know? So once you pick her up, you have to ask yourself, does this bring me joy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is, uh, th I feel like this is um, maybe a topic better served at our uh, at our other podcast, which is more focused on uh, sexually explicit material. Yeah, but that's purely viewed through the prism of Michael Crichton, and we don't yeah. permit external anecdotes. Well, Michael Crichton has has a relationship with uh, the Japanese people, I think, <laughs> that he hates them. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> It's fitting. Okay, um, you just cut all that, right? Probably. We'll <laughs> see. Oh, I'll leave it up to you. I don't really care. Depends how good the rest of the episode is. Yeah, that's true. Uh, do you have anything else you want to share with our, our darling listeners before you um, we move on to the the meat of our podcast? I washed my bed sheets. <laughs> well, well, was the, well, was the last time you had watched them before this? When is the last time you remember me telling you I've washed my bed sheets? Because that was surely the last time. I don't. I don't remember. Like last year. <laughs> yes, and in a different house. Oh god. So my sheets were transported, like not even like properly. They were just like thrown into the truck somewhere, and uh, they went straight on the bed, 
and then I finally decided to wash them. Yeah. Gross. I washed them out and, and I had to use the dryer because I've got really no space to be able to dry them naturally anywhere. Mm. So the building has a communal washing area, right, with a washing mm. machine and a dryer. In order to operate the dryer, you have to put down $3 coins into the slots to get it operating, right? So they're charging for it. I guess, fair enough, that's a fairly common thing in apartment buildings. At least it is in America. I don't know how common it is here. Uh, I never, the only apartment building that I lived in that had, um, a washer and dryer in the unit, in the, uh, building. The one I stayed in with you had, a, yeah, had one in Yeah, yeah, that, that one was money-based. Yeah. Um, and then the only other one that I lived in, uh, I had a washer and dryer in my room, which did not cost money to operate, so. Okay. Or in, in our, in our, in my, um, apartment, rather. Wow, that's pretty good. Anyway, yeah, so we've got these coin-operated uh, washing machines, or just one, and a dryer. Mm-hmm. But it, that's not enough for the, the body corporate, right? Mm. No, of course not. <laughs> so it took me a while to work this out. I didn't work it out. Someone had to tell me. But there's like a, a random switch that I noticed in, in my house mm. that wasn't like attached to a, an outlet. I was like, what does the switch do? It just turns on and off, but doesn't seem to have any function, right? It wasn't a light switch. It was in the skirting boards. Mm-hmm. So I took note of that, but I didn't know what it was. And uh, it turns out that you have to turn on that switch, right? And that controls uh, an outlet in the washing room with your unit number assigned to it. Uh-huh. You plug the washing machine into your outlet, so it ch- it goes towards your electricity bill. Oh, your electricity bill? <laughs> That's so... What a, what, a bunch of, what a bunch of fucking cheapskates. Isn't that, isn't that ridiculous? <laughs> and then you, you know, then once you're done, you switch off your switch in your house to make sure that no one else uses your outlet. But, That's crazy. <laughs> isn't it? You think they could have just factored that into, like, the cost, yeah, the cost. in the first place? If they wanted to, you know... Yeah, what the fuck? That's crazy. The dryer, fortunately, is only a dollar. Yeah, I think I I feel like dryers are often cheaper than uh, washing machines are. Yeah, but I I noticed from my experience abroad using laundromats all the time that you frequently had to do like multiple rounds of the dryer. Like it would do like a a fifteen-minute burst. Yeah. Um, on a certain temperature, because you don't you don't want to completely scorch everything in one go no, to no. try and fit it into fifteen minutes. Yeah, you want to do it as slowly as possible. So you end up spending quite a bit anyway. But uh, well, every every uh, laundromat I've been into, even even factory that in, the cost is still less than the the washing. So yeah, that's 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 true. The cost of the electricity is probably really high compared compared to the washing machine. The washing machine is like really quick here, like a. Takes, it seems to take less than half an hour, less than 20 minutes even, or mm-hmm. about 20 minutes. The dryer kept going for like, it was still going after 40 minutes, and I decided, was like, is this going definitely until you open the door? So I opened it prematurely, wasn't quite dry, but I didn't want to like pay for another dollar to get it started up again, so I put damp bed sheets on my bed. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's disgusting. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> You should you should go to hell for that one. Uh, so what is this, and what do we do? This is a special quarantine slim edition of Project A Plus. Mm. What is what is different from normal Project A Plus, which is probably never going to come back. So there's less of it. How, how so? It's only bonus features. What's bonus features? It's just where we talk about films we happen to have watched in the preceding week. Hmm, that sounds like an engaging and unique uh, t- podcast format. Doesn't it? So the ideal situation for something like that, right, would be sort of an equal amount of films per uh, podcast host, right? Yeah, because we want to satisfy both camps, the, the Hugh fans and the Hunter fans. Yeah, the H- <laughs> H-U-Gs and the H-U-Ns. Hmm, the Hugs and the Huns. Yeah, the Hugs and the Huns, that's right. But, uh, Hugh, uh, often there's an imbalance where I watch many more films than you do. Mm. Now, is that a trend that is going to uh, continue this week? We shall see. Bonus features, bonus, bonus features, bonus features, bonus.
Last week we achieved perfect parody. That's right. Actually, I don't believe it was perfect parody because one of the viewings was you watching the audio commentary of a film you had watched in the preceding week to that week. That that still counts. I watched, the, counts. I watched the movie. I watched the movie. We we disagreed on this. That is hardly right. in the spirit of the podcast. I've talked about other commentary track viewings that I've done and I have several times. And you're, time. only, <laughs> you're only coming at me now. Because no, I've been consistent you can't, in my no, protests. No, no. Well, then uh, I don't give a shit. <laughs> Who gives it. a shit about like, oh, yeah, so this film I've already talked about in the podcast, I watched it again with the audio commentary. Yeah, it was pretty good audio commentary. Just, just because you don't watch audio commentaries doesn't mean that... Uh, that it's invalid what I do, okay? I didn't say it's invalid to watch audio commentaries or experience yeah, you just audio commentaries. So. It doesn't count as it's a movie to you. It's invalid to report on them as part of a podcast. No. That's I, I, I sincerely about. disagree. I sincerely disagree. <laughs> I'm going to continue to do it. Um, I'm sure that at some point you'll probably just cut it out, so it doesn't really matter. That's correct. <laughs> Uh, so I don't see any reason why you would even bother to complain about it when you have control over what, it, what ends up with the final product regardless. Right. So right. I also like making you submit. Well, that's not going to happen. Anyway, that was last week, and now we come to this week. Now, Hugh, I, I'm very interested to learn, how many films did you watch between last week and this week? Well, if you were going by my letterboxed, you would think mm. I only watched one film. And a film I had already seen, no less. Hmm. But did it occur to you, did it occur to you that in order to uh, afford you some sort of pleasant surprise during the recording of this mm. episode, I purposely neglected to log the other films I happened to watch during the week? You know, that thought did occur to me, but then I realized that probably didn't happen. So, How many films did you watch? Uh, let me see. I watched one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And you know what's interesting is that none of them are rewatches. All of these mm. films I've never seen before. Stop like playing with your belt buckle. No, I'm playing with my glasses. So right. I'm, I wasn't playing with the book. I don't have a belt on. So mm. you can shut your mouth. So I watched seven. How many films did you? You watched seven, so you just watched one film. I thought you'd seen that before. Yeah, that film's called Se Seven In. Hmm. How many films did you watch? You ready? Can you guess? Uh-huh. Um, one, and it was a rewatch. Nope, you're incorrect. Hmm. Well, you told me you were watching that country music documentary, so two? Not a film. Uh, is it on Letterboxd? No. Uh, I mean, it might be know. if it lets you log TV shows, but it's not a film. Let's see. Yeah, country music, 2019. There it is. Not a film. Yeah, it's a, it's a film. It's a long film. It's not a film. Uh, he watched four films. Now let me count. One, two, three, oh, go for it. Five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, closer to eight. I don't know if I should count that one. So, technically, I watched two films. <laughs> technically, you watched two films? Yeah. What does that mean? I watched two films. Hmm. Well, why technically? <laughs> because I watched two films. Technically, I watched no, two no. films. No, no, no. What, what, what makes it? What, what's the technicality? They were both films, and I watched them. <laughs> How do you want to split these up then? <laughs> do you talk about three of my films, and then you could talk about one of yours? I'm trying to think of our listeners and how they would best like to experience this podcast. Do they want to get the bad out of the way first <laughs> and delay their gratification? So, so then you should you should do all your films first. Is what you're saying. Right, right. Are you opening a jar of peanut brittle? Yep. Are you drinking kombucha from a jar? No, I'm opening my water bottle. Ah. Because I could hear like that it was a beverage that you were drinking, but there was also like a screw cap. So I was thinking you had some sort of pretentious mason jar situation going on. And nope. You've been home brewing kombucha. Nope. No. Okay. All right. Should I do? Should I do three films? And then do four. Do four. Then I'll do two. You do and one. Do... No, oh, you yeah. do one. All right. 
and then I do four, and then you do your last one. You've only done seven, though. So yeah, all I have is seven. So you're starting with four, and then... I'm starting with... Yeah, and then... Three. And then one, and then, and then three, you one, and then one. And then one, yeah. Yeah. All right, all right. okay. Okay, I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna linger like some people. Good. But, Hugh, I... You know what? I watched three films that you have recommended on this podcast, mm. or to me in private, alternatively, on the, this week. Wow. You ready for them? I'm not gonna talk about all three of them first. Okay. You excited? Yeah. So, uh, the first film that I watched might prove a little controversial. Not the film itself, rather, but my rating of it seemed mm. to incite you a little bit when we uh, discussed our lives uh, on Friday or Saturday or whenever it was. Your your Sunday, my Saturday. Yeah. That is John Carpenter's debut... Uh, and best. ...feature film. Oof, I don't know about that one. Uh, Dark Star, uh, which is streaming on the Criterion channel right now, and I was like, you know what? I've been uh, wanting to watch this. And so I watched it. Uh, cool. Moving on. Uh, no, no, I got to get into it. Uh, so, uh, you know what? I definitely enjoyed this film. I like its sort of uh, fuzzed out, um, almost like nihilistic space vibes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I will say, uh, at least the version that I watched on the Criterion channel uh, felt pretty long. And I was uh, kind of bored at some stretches. So I had to give it the old <laughs> three and a half stars <laughs> out of five. Um, and uh, you know what I uh, maybe I went in with the wrong expectations because uh, you know you hear like this sort of space comedy and uh, you know what there, there's some parts that I thought were pretty funny but um, some parts I thought just uh, were only okay um, it is just a, it's a student film like essentially yeah, but I'm, I'm allowed to rate it on whatever scale I want to no so I mean like your expectations should have been modulated towards Something humbler, no. perhaps. No, I'm. I go into every film with the exact same expectations. Because it's certainly something that I think is somewhat at odds with the rest of his filmography. Mm. Yeah, because it. I mean, I don't think he directed. I mean, I guess like more of an Invisible Man. Hmm. But yeah, I don't think he had another film that you know was like comedy first and foremost. Like a lot, all of his films have some degree of like you know comedic moments. I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's an interesting sort of melding of sensibilities between him and Dan. O- o- what's his name? Dan O'Bannon. Dan, Dan O'Bannon. Yeah. Yeah. Who co-wrote and, uh, stars in the film. That's his mm. Carpenter's voice at least. Uh, yeah. but Hugh, you know what? Uh, I, I feel completely justified in my, um, describing it as uh, a little padded out because Dan O'Bannon himself, uh, when he, <laughs> Uh, went back to release a like director's cut version of this film. Actually, removed about twelve minutes from it. So, he's not the director. How could he get director's cut? Dan O'Bannon's cut. <laughs> yeah, Dan O'Bannon's cut. That's I can't cut. even remember. Like, I I do have a DVD of it that has two different versions, and I I can't even remember which which version I've mainly watched. So well, I, I was reading a little bit about the production history. But uh, basically, you know, it started as the student film and uh, they're, you know, he to release it um, and no one wanted to pick it up because it was too short. But the, they got a producer who was like, uh, you know, I can release this film if you add another like 30 minutes or so to it. So um, and, you know, there's just a little bit too much of uh, Dan O'Bannon running around some With the beach dark corridors <laughs> trying to kill a beach ball. which <laughs> You know, maybe I'm using it for a little bit, but uh, after a while, I was like, okay, let's get on with it. It is unequivocally boring for stretches of this film. <laughs> I, I, I completely agree with that, but that doesn't detract from the experience whatsoever and, and kind of adds to its charm, in my in my opinion. In your opinion. <laughs> well, uh, I was tapped by, uh, you know, foot ready to go, um, but I do enjoy... I like, I like seeing the, you know, extremely low-budget special effects. Yeah, um, I, I love the special effects. I think they are able to some some good stuff. Um, and, you know, I think it's really interesting to see how similar this film is to, in a lot of ways to Alien, <laughs> which I think is funny. Um, 
But uh, honestly, I don't really think it ever topped the opening, uh, which just has these like brief cuts of um, uh, brief shots of the crew, you know, just like fooling around or doing, you know, their their space stuff. These 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 four like idiots in space, mm-hmm. uh, you know, while this um, like melancholy, uh, you know, uh, country song plays, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty pretty funny. Um, and there's some other charming bits like I like the uh, bit where uh, you know I feel like this film often gets I mean like, the poster like directly compared to 2001 but it feels more like a parody of like Star Trek to me than anything because mm. um, just because like you know it's there, the, there's like faux like captain's log type things and you know like the sunny optimism of that show is replaced by this like <laughs> pervasive like boredom and, and yeah like near nihilism and uh, you know corporate skepticism and, st- and stuff like that um, but, uh, yeah, so c- certainly not a uh, Jar Carpenter's best film, uh, but, uh, definitely mm, no. a, a little re- repository of charming images and moments, uh, even if it does feel a little, uh, dull at times, but, uh, perhaps if I watched, uh, Dan O'Bannon's preferred version, I would think differently. Mm. And the dullness is somewhat thematically appropriate. Yeah, but, um... And it didn't. It wasn't uh, productive in the same way that some other films' dullness could be. I think. I like my sci-fi with a dollop of tedium. Well, uh, we're two different people, and uh, no, I'm allowed no. to express my own opinion. Unless have Maybe we been not. society together? There's still all that fucking background noise. Uh, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what they're doing out there. Um, I don't know. Some sort the of construction. This fucking perpetual construction site. Seems like uh, your your buildings at all. It's at all. It seemed it would be. Now it's still a good building. I like it. I like my apartment. Are you on the ground level? I'm on the ground level. Mm. And frequently, ravens and magpies perch on the post just by my front fence. That sounds super annoying. Why? I don't want birds to be around me. <laughs> they're not around me, like they're outside the house. I don't want them to be near me. It's just like looking at a nature documentary. No, it's not. Through my window. They make noise. Not as much noise as the fucking construction workers. <laughs> yeah, but construction workers, I guess they do kind of do it in the morning. But you, you have a weird sleep schedule anyway. What are you anyway. doing? It sounds like they're buzzsawing something. <laughs> it does. It sounds like they're. It sounds like a wood chipper. I think it is a wood chipper. <laughs> Maybe they're Kelly and uh, Steve Buscemi. I can see like um, sawdust flying up, so it probably is a wood chipper. Wow. Well, uh, I'm glad that I was able to figure that out without even. Uh, or it could just be there. a buzzsaw, and that's the detritus from whatever. Uh, items of wood there. Also, definitely up. possible. Either way, some timber is getting it. Do you want me to keep going, or do you want yeah, to you be talking about your, your bus all? What else did you watch? Well, let's let's take a look on my letterbox. Right, so I watched a film that I don't think you've seen, but maybe, uh, which was on the Criterion channel. Mm. It's a little Jackie Chan film, uh, which is sort of made before he really broke as a star. Um, called Spiritual Kung Fu. Yeah, I noticed the Criterion Channel added a bunch of weird Hong Kong films uh, that were mostly Jackie Chan related. Yeah, I think it's just because you know people watch the police story movies on there and they're like, we want more of this because it's obviously great. And then they just pick up whatever they have. Uh, you know, they can get the rights too cheaply, including this film, which is called Spiritual Kung Fu. They've also got like half a loaf of Kung Fu. Yeah, so a lot exactly. Of like late 70s uh, Jackie Chan films when it was more yeah. like they wanted him to be the new Bruce Lee and stuff. Yeah, well, specifically the man who discovered Bruce or Jackie Chan and was the person who like directed uh, Bruce Lee's like first films in Hong Kong. Mm. Uh, his name is Wo Wei, directed this film. Uh, and no way. yeah, yeah. And, 
you know what? Um, it it it's a it, part of this film is like so crazy and insane that it like justifies the rest of the film almost. But the other half is just like the most generic, like you know, seventies uh, Jackie Chan kung fu movie. You know, hmm. where he's like, uh, you know, he's in this um, Shaolin temple and he's like the 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 moron. Uh, he's really good at kung fu. So what makes him a moron? Well, you know, he just is. He always fucks up and gets in trouble. Hmm. Um, so him being a, a dimwit, which is you know, kind of a, the typical like comedic uh, period Jackie Chan persona, right? I wouldn't say a dimwit. No. Well, well, what would you describe? He's kind of an everyman. A waif. Yeah, but he's kind of like a. He's like kind of a fuck up too, though. Sort of. But I, I wouldn't he's say... definitely more of a he's he's more of a, a everyman like in the you know after he he broke beyond like the 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 in his own films and yeah and, uh, yeah I guess so. But, but in I, this I, period, I, I can't really recall many of his early films where he he came across as like outright dim-witted. Maybe childlike is what I'm going for. Naive. Yeah, um, but he's always getting into trouble. And so whatever. It's just like a, you know, boring, uh, kind of boring kung fu movie mm-hmm. uh, until about, I would say about 30 minutes in uh, after there's a break-in at the temple and this technique gets stolen, stolen which is pretty standard kung fu plotting, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then, then the movie goes from uh, kind of dull to really bizarre in about three seconds where the person who stole the technique is like... Um, you know, uh, my son, there is a opposite technique to this technique, um, but which was lost. So you'll be unbeatable. No one except for the people in heaven would ever be able to know this other technique. Uh, and then the film cuts to a shot of the sky and a shooting star comes down and sends these five, uh, you know, alien ghosts who uh, the long and short of it is haunt the shallow temple. Uh, and then Jackie Chan beats them up and then pees all over them. <laughs> and then what? They, they, yeah, yeah. Uh, these ghosts are—they are dressed in white bodysuits and have like white uh, face paint on and have long red hair. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Jackie Chan defeats them and then they teach him this technique. Uh, and so the movie is completely crazy for about thirty more minutes. <laughs> and then um, it goes back to being a little standard where uh, Jackie Chan has to defeat his the, the rival with this technique that these ghost aliens taught him. So, uh, if that sounds entertaining to you, I would say you should watch this very strange uh, film. Uh, there's also a great scene where uh, Jackie Chan puts uh, two frogs out his pants uh, and also a snake. And then says, oh, snake, don't crawl up there. So, good stuff. Hmm. <laughs> I ended up giving it three stars because uh, about half of it is like pretty generic, uh, but the other half is so crazy that it uh, justifies the entire film. I think so. There you go, spiritual kung fu. Uh, and then I followed that up with another recommendation of yours, Hugh. Are you mm-hmm. ready for this one? Which I watched, The Long Goodbye, the Robert Altman film, mm. uh, which I thought was pretty enjoyable. Sacred by this very uh, sort of compelling um, Elliot Gould, who basically plays like the only person with any sort of like uh, moral code in this horrible world of violent gangsters and uh, awful people. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's uh, a great attempt to like capture the pervasive uh, like corruption that uh, I think like Nora in general and. Uh, Raymond Chandler specifically, like, tried to... That was, like, you know, the the major, like, sort of mood and tone that they were going mm. for uh, to the 70s. Um, and, you know, I think some of it is a little, like, uh, dated. <laughs> like, um, his his neighborhood, like, gaggle of, like, topless uh, women, <laughs> I thought was a little, a little weird. But that also um, kind of plays into what he's doing with, like, transplanting this old noir hard-boiled yeah. trope into the 70s. It kind of felt somewhat self-parodic in that in that bit, I think. Yeah. Whether necessarily intentional or not, but it kind yeah. of works that way. Yeah, I agree. It's just it's just very odd. <laughs> mm. um, but uh, another, another little bit of, like, 
self-parody that I actually thought was kind of annoying and didn't really work for me was the uh, like various versions of the theme song that play. Hmm. Um, which uh, I was like, okay, I, I, I get it. I didn't really like the song that much, and I was just like, okay, whatever. Let's just I just don't find this amusing or anything. Let's let's just get on with it. Um, but you know, I really like the atmosphere. I, I really like this like sort of like uh, sun dappled um, detective story a lot. Um, and yeah, like I said, I mean, I think that like every one of this film is like fantastic. I, I, you know, uh, obviously like gold is great. Um, and I really think, um, even though he's like this like monstrous character, I think, uh, Sterling hated as like the, uh, uh, alcoholic, like Ernest Hemingway type. I thought he was fantastic too. Yeah. Know? He's like, yeah, like, like this like horrible person. Um, uh, but most of the characters in this movie are pretty horrible. So. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I really respect just the, uh, absolute, like, cold brutality of the ending, too, mm. <laughs> you know? Uh, and I just like how, like, final and, like, um, almost apocalyptic it feels, you know? Where, like, I mean, not, not to spoil anything, but just, like, this, this complete, like, you know, you see Elliot Gould, and, and the, there's, like, one thing that his character lived by, which basically none of the characters do, is just, like, this very intense loyalty that he feels towards his friend and then his mm. friend betrays him and it's just like okay that's it and uh it really just feels like the end of the world at the end of the film um, great great film yeah, i really love stuff. the mood it manages to capture yeah I, I agree on that um and uh i was like there's some moments of violence of this that really shocked me and you know mm. I, i've seen a lot of horrible stuff so <laughs> we specifically talk about the the scene with the uh, gangster do you know what i'm talking about Mm, not off the top of my head, no. Where he, where he smashes his girlfriend's face with a Coke bottle, sort of, out of nowhere. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was uh, very hard to watch. Um, but I feel like Altman, you know, he likes to invest life in all of his, his like, characters, no matter how, like, tertiary they are. Mm. And, uh, you know, this film almost feels like it's bursting at the seas with life. Um, and it's almost like... It almost, it almost made you feel like a little uh, like claustrophobic in a way. There's just so much to look at in every frame, you know? Mm. Um, but good stuff. Uh, and I was uh, weirded out by the fact that uh, not only does this have a famous, like, before he was famous, uh, famous before he was famous, uh, sort of infamous, uh, uh, not cameo, but small role for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, but I was very surprised to see uh, the star of our favorite Igmar Bergman film, David Carradine, show up in an uncredited role at the beginning mm. so um, but uh, definitely a solid film uh, I feel like I probably won't like uh, that many other Robert Altman's films but uh, this definitely made me more interested to explore his filmography than anything else that I've seen so well recently um, interestingly enough a film that has often been buried from his filmography especially his like 70s sort of golden streak uh, he's is, made so uh, many films uh, another Elliot Gould film about gamblers. I forgot what, exactly what mm, it's called. California Splits. California Splits. And it's been... Yeah, that one's got a bit of a long, reprisal. Long unavailable because of the amount of copyright clearance that was required for its mm. uh, star-studded soundtrack. Mm. And it's just recently surfaced intact on uh, Amazon Prime. There was like a DVD release from a few years back where they had to like replace a lot of the music and cut whole scenes from the film mm. because of the clearance issues. And that was supposed to be like a terrible version compared to the original. But now, yeah, now it's available on Amazon Prime. Oh, interesting. All right, Hugh. Uh, well, are you ready for the next film that I watched, which I rated just as high as I rated The Long Goodbye for some reason? Could it be a video game adaptation? Mm, it could be. Mm. Uh, directed by one of my favorite, probably, I would say my... Uh, it's either him or Kyoshi Kurosawa uh, but anyway my favorite like working director in Japan uh, Takashi Miike it's an adaptation of the long running uh, Capcom slash Nintendo video game series uh, Ace Attorney and um, yeah that's pretty much it uh, also I feel like it's uh, commonly referred to as like Phoenix Wright in the states um, and in Australia yeah and I feel like it's just the western world in general but uh, not so much in Japan. And Ace Attorney's always attached there in some way, which also often leads to like very convoluted, like a multi columned mm. uh, titles, like Ace Attorney, Phoenix Wright, and Justice for All, or something like that. Mm. 
Um, but uh, this video game series has been a favorite of mine since I was a, a child um, and really helped spark my interest in uh, visual novels, which is a, a genre of Japanese game that it's recently caught on, but I was, uh, you know, before the curve of all these things, uh, which basically just are it's kind of like image hunting and choice making. That's the basic gameplay. Uh, and um, the, the... They are the, like essentially adventure games. Yeah, pretty much. But minus a little bit of interactivity. Yeah, there's, there's less like wandering about exploring. It's more sort of constrained. In general, you don't have an avatar in the in these games. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but otherwise, like the the core gameplay. Yeah, it's just hunting for objects and using them at the right time, which is just yeah. adventure game gameplay. Yeah. Um, and dialogue choices and stuff. Yeah. Um, so uh, this movie is a kind of adaptation of the first of a couple of cases in the first game. Um, all of this is to say, as a fan of these games, I really enjoyed this movie a lot. <laughs> uh, and I think it does a pretty good job of translating the uh, excitement of the games, which is all about like sort of um, uh, breaking the logic down of uh, these testimonies. That's like, there's basically two things of the game. There's an investigation where you're like, going around and looking for objects and then uh, you use these objects on cross-examinations, and uh, I think a lot of the fun of the game is picking apart these statements that people are making uh, and, um, you know, pointing out the lies of the evidence that you've attained. And I think that the film does a pretty good job of getting to that exciting feeling uh, when you've successfully picked apart someone's uh, logic. Um and uh, I have to say that uh, it's I half of the fun of this movie is just because they like they don't try to um, make the character seem any less, less ridiculous than the very like anime designs that they are. So it means that every character has this like hilarious wig on, mm. <laughs> which is great. Uh, and I have to give a special a, a special props to um, uh, Hiroki uh, Nari Mia who plays Phoenix Wright, uh, because he does a fantastic job doing all these hilariously wacky facial expressions that I thought mm. were really enjoyable. Uh, and it was fun watching him, like, basically mug with his face the entire movie. Uh, and he really did a really good job of, uh, you know, being amusing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just thought it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think Mike really, uh, you know, I mean, obviously this is not, you know, seemingly one of his... Uh, more emotionally complex films um but i think he does uh do some really great visual cues and um <laughs> there's like this weird uh uh element which is not in the gaze which is that the um <laughs> the way that they like uh translate the evidence portion of the cross-examination is that the ceiling of the courthouse comes down and it's this like huge mechanical thing that's all obviously all CGI that shoots these like huge holographic projections of the evidence, which is <laughs> like bizarre and amazing. Um, How does it sustain 134 minutes? Is what I want to know. <laughs> um, I mean, it kind of does it, uh, but uh, you know, I, it's uh, I don't know. I enjoy I enjoyed it. Okay. <laughs> um, and I think it's interesting. Well, I, I don't know. It'd be interesting to as someone or to see someone who has not played these games at all and has no affection for it to know what they would make out of, out of this film. Mm. Uh, I assume they probably wouldn't like it that much. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as someone who loves these films, uh, I think this is, or sorry, who loves the, the games that it's based on, I think this is about as good of, of a movie, a live-action movie adaptation as there can, could be. So, All right, uh, so do you want to interject with one of your, the films that you watched right now? Uh, so I rewatched a film that I've already talked about twice on this podcast on two separate occasions. Oh God! Which is the 1966 Louisa Pitco classic Wings. Uh, I just had an urge to watch it one rainy morning, and it didn't disappoint. I still think it is a remarkable film, especially for a debut. Uh, I'm not the first to make this observation because I probably made it on a previous podcast in addition to other critics, but it does feel like the work of an older filmmaker. Because I think she was really, not only was it her first film, but she was actually quite young at the time she made it. And 
I really liked the fact that I remembered pretty much every moment of the film because many inferior films just vaporize from the memory uh, the moment after mm. I finished watching them. I was pleased to discover that this had not. I remembered each moment of the scenes and how everything justifies and accumulates as this really sharply drawn character portrait that is also poetic and elusive and I really enjoyed it. So that's Wings. I won't harp on it too much because I already have. We've already done a lot of entire episode dedicated to it. We did an entire episode on it and then I mentioned it again because it was uh, at the top of a list that we made of mm. uh, films we had done on the podcast or something. It's true. It was our uh, 50th anniversary special or something like That's that. That's right. Uh, I really want to track down her other two features. So she only made four in total. Uh, we've seen mm. two. And I, I'm really curious about the weird New Year's Eve musical that she made after this, as well as uh, You and Me from 1971. But they seem to be really hard to find. All right. Uh, so the next film that I watched uh, is a movie called Hardware, uh, which is Richard Stanley's directorial debut. Um, and, uh, it's this, like, sort of, uh, Fallout, the video game series-ish, um, post-apocalyptic, uh, horror action film, um, which, uh, I think, uh, is kind of a failure on a narrative at a character level. Okay. Um, but, uh, very enjoyable on a production design and a aesthetic level. Um, and I think if you watch it uh, with that in mind, you will get a lot out of just the gross and weird future that Stanley has conjured up with a pretty low budget. Stanley. Uh, and no, with uh, Richard Stanley, uh. the um, director of the Island of Doctor Moreau. Um, but um, you know, I've I've been wanting to watch this film for a while, and I was a little disappointed with how like sort of shallow the characters are, and I think uh, the the lead actor, uh, who is Dodd McDermott, is pretty boring <laughs> and bad. Mm. Um, um, but it also features a really bizarre scene where uh, uh, Porkins from Star Wars <laughs> Episode Four: A New Hope. Porkins. You know what I'm talking about Pork Porkins. No, who the fuck is Porkins? <laughs> uh, he's is one he of the, the fat uh, pilot. Uh, Jack, yeah, Jack Tato Porkins is his full name. Uh, yes, he is the fat pilot. He gets blown up. Uh, but his the, name is actually uh, Porkins in canon. Yeah, <laughs> yep, his name is his name is. Oh wait, here we go. According to uh, uh, Wikipedia, uh, Wikipedia. Um, okay, according to Wikipedia, uh, his his name is Jack Tato Porkins, <laughs> and, and nicknamed Piggy. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, you get a scene where he uh, is basically um, <laughs> taking photos of Dylan McDermott having sex with uh, uh, Stacy Travis, who plays the female lead, who is better than um, Dylan McDermott is, but still, it seems uh, her line readings leave a little bit to be desired. Her face, she's she's better at physically acting than he is. Hmm. She's more of a presence, but uh, sometimes her line readings are a little dull. But um, you get a great scene where they, Dylan McDermott and her are having, you know, uh, sexual intercourse. I know. And, um, and then you get a poor kid spied on them with an infrared camera <clears throat> and uh, say things like, yeah, that's right, baby. Take his big dick. That's right. That's right. It's just uh, this close up on his sweaty face as presumably he masturbates. Uh, so that was that was pretty uh, enjoyable. Um, but, uh, you know, I think there are. Uh, hundreds of images of this film that I think are uh, incredibly well executed uh, even if it, it, it does feel a little flat uh, at times because it's narrative is kind of generic I think that Stanley has a pretty uh, interesting and uh, compelling visual sense that really uh, comes through um, in this film and uh, it's a shame that he hasn't made more films because I feel like you know, uh, this is a pretty decent debut, um, but, you know, definitely has a lot of room for improvement, which, uh, you know, in the ideal world uh, would be improved upon by other films. But in Richard Stanley's case, it is 
followed by one film and then one disaster and then finally another film which uh, got released this year so how is iggy pop as angry bob uh he is only a voice oh really that's a shame yeah i agree so the film was sued by 2000 ad for a similarity to one of their comic strips yes so they had to retrospectively say it was based on the particular comic strip that richard stanley had stolen it from Mm. All right, so I watched the third recommendation of yours uh, This that I watched this week. Uh, that was the film I watched on the same day as Hardware. Kind of a weird pairing, but, you know, uh, which is I watched Agnes Varda's debut feature film, La Pointe Core, mm. uh, which I thought was uh, pretty enjoyable. Um, you know, at first I was like, okay, yes, this, this documentary about this fishy village, I can get behind this. But I was a little nervous about going into the other fictional segment of it. Um, but even though I think some of the, like, beats, I mean, I know that this this sort of, like, uh, fighting married couple stuff is your bread and butter. <laughs> uh, I think a little, uh, the little bit of the poetics of it do come across as kind of, um, not canned exactly, but sort of, you know, obvious. It's like, you know, the the, the discussion that they have about, like, the differences between uh, the sort of mature love that the man feels towards the woman and the uh, uh, passionate, like, um, uh, first, not first of, but passionate sort of affair that when you first start dating someone mm. and it goes well uh, that you go on felt a little like uh, old hat to me, <laughs> to be honest. But I think that what makes the film really interesting is the way that uh, Varda utilizes the environment that she was filming in to... It's a, it's a, the film is like experimental in that yeah, the imagery and the symbolism feels like an attempt to make use of these local surroundings to convey that what she wants to convey. Yeah. And I think that is really interesting, and I think it mostly succeeds. And I think that the two halves really uh, complement each other well. Yeah, I think that's the most interesting thing about the film, and the thing that has aged yep. the best is, is that combination between the documentary that she set out to make and this, you know, other fiction story that's kind of integrated in the mix. And there yep. is that kind of experimental nature. Some of the stuff where she is using these, like, experimental compositions uh, around the harbour while this couple are having this discussion and stuff, I think some of that comes across a little stiltedly uh, now. Yeah, I agree with you. It can be a little bit awkward, even yeah. though it's kind but... of uh, anticipating some stylistic developments. Uh, that came later yeah and that she was ahead of yeah that's true because at points it almost felt like some of the framing and stuff and the very deliberate use of uh, faces sort of cutting halfway through the frame and stuff felt a little bit like persona to me yeah definitely but i think it's a really interesting first film yeah um and you know i don't really know if i have much to add to that to it besides that uh but i thought it was really good it was much better than i was expecting that's kind of I wasn't dreading to watch it necessarily, but I was kind of expecting that it would be a film that I watched. And I was like, okay, that was good, but it didn't really impact me really. Um, but I ended up really liking it. So, and I, you know, I have a real soft spot for uh, Philippe Doré. Uh, he plays the man. So, uh, so I watched one more movie, which I watched today actually, uh, which is a Chinese um, crime film. I've heard it called a neo noir, but I don't really. I don't know. I just feel like every sort of stylish, stylish crime drama that gets put out these days is called a neo noir. Not to mention the Matrix. Uh, oh, I fucking hate you so much. <laughs> um, so uh, anyway, the film is called Black Hole Thin Ice. Uh, I've been meaning to watch it for a while, uh, just because it seemed like something that would be up my alley. Uh, and I would give this film a sort of mixed trending positive review maybe like a three and a half yeah yeah if i were to if you were to hold a gun to my head and force me to a side uh uh rating to it that's that's probably the i would go down with mm. um because i do think uh the director uh what's his name uh dao yanan um has a pretty good compositional eye uh but i think this film uh is a little too elliptical it feels a little too like planned and schematic for me to really get into it and mm -hmm. uh i do think there is like a bit of like sort of the uh unseemly you know like um 
uh, like gross sexual urges that underpin a lot of noir uh, in this, um, but it doesn't really feel quite as like um, I don't know, like vile. I guess is the word I want, or it doesn't feel like it plums as many uh, depths, or it doesn't feel quite as like um, I don't know. It feels a little. Feels a little sorry. It, it, it's it's a kind of a slow and elliptical film too, which I don't know. I mean, the, and the subject matter is like pretty gross and trashy as well. Uh, so I think that's kind of it's kind of a strange fit. Um, but I think there are some really great images of this, uh, and I really like the way that you know um, he shoots the part of China, which I don't know what part it is exactly, but the part of China that it's shot in uh, is shot well and seems like very, you know, replete with like all these um, specific details. Uh, but um, yeah, it just feels like it, it, there's part of it that feels a little like lynching in too that I don't really think feels that like uh, it, it feels a little like sort of stock. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, all in all, I, I think it's a uh, yeah, but um, so about a three anyway, and a half. I, yeah, about a three and a half. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I think that the main actor, uh, who's uh, Wow Fawn, who uh, probably is, is like become probably my favorite like mainland Chinese actor. Uh, you probably best know him from being uh, one of the co-stars of Jackie Chan's uh, Chinese Zodiac, <laughs> which I haven't yet had the pleasure of uh, experiencing. You, you should you should check that out. Uh, I think that's my that's my homework for you for next week. I would like to watch it. <laughs> it's it's great um but he said that but uh he he i feel like he does a pretty good job of balancing stuff like chinese zodiac with uh more arty films like uh he's the lead in ash's purest white he's the male lead anyway uh he's a very uh, distinctive face uh, and i think he's pretty attractive so he's got that going for him um but uh yeah i really yeah he's good um i don't know <laughs> kind of kind of mixed but um you know, if, if the if you read the press and it sounds intriguing to you, I would not deter anyone from watching this. But it's it's striving for sort of a poetic or artistic meaning that I don't think it quite gets. But I I would have liked it if it had been a little more kinetic and uh, and less like sort of placid. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. So, so it's sort of like you know three and a half star. Shut, <laughs> shut shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right. What, what's this other non letterbox wow. that you watch so we can wow. fucking stop this shit show? It's a film I only just completed prior to the mm. recording of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's a film that is, uh, like Darkstar, also set in space. A science fiction film, if you will. Well, every, every, fil- every film was set in space, right? But this is, this is in is the, the same the genre. Earth is in space. This belongs to the same genre as John Carpenter's best not film, true. Darkstar. I guess it's not, I, I guess care. it's not true. Don't care. Because we're, we're there are past. some films that are set in like heaven. Don't care. Presumably heaven is it in Don't space. Uh, and that film is. Mm-hmm. Can you guess? Uh, it's a space film. It's a space film. Uh, Ice pirates. No. Well, I don't know it then. I'll narrow it down for you. It was released originally in the year two thousand and eighteen. Uh, what do you mean released? Like, it got its wide release there, or is it? I have no idea, but Letterbox uh, classifies it as a 2018 film. High Life. High Life. What's that? Mm-hmm. What's High Life? The Claire Denis film. Oh yeah, that's the one. That's what I watched. Okay. Um... Good guess. I'm a fucking genius. <laughs> as, as soon as he said 2018, I was like, okay, it's high life. <laughs> yeah, there's really even, not even much though else. That was, even though that was released last year, really. Yeah, there's not much else to... So you pushed past my decidedly uh, negative review of this film. Well, actually, I, I want to take you to task or something. Your original rating of this film, I'm reasonably confident in saying, was like three or three and a half stars. And you have since downgraded it to two and a half stars. I think my original rating was two and a half. And I, I don't, don't think it was. One. I think it was three and a half, or even three. No, three I don't. I really don't think so. I, I do think so. 
Well, <laughs> you could, we could disagree on this, but when you so when you originally talked about high life on the podcast, you said that you found it you know a bit underwhelming, but I don't remember any specific points you made about why you didn't like mm. it, and maybe it was mm. just a general feeling of like yeah, this doesn't really do it for me. I don't have anything particularly against it. Just didn't work for me. I don't know. But was there specifics to this film that you uh, objected to? Yeah, I mean, it just felt a little like uh, stilted. It didn't feel quite as like um, I don't know. It felt it felt a little like it was. It, it, it felt like I was trying too hard. That was that was mm. what I kind of felt about it. It felt a little like it was. Uh, I don't even know how to put it. It felt like it almost feels like stock in a way to me. Like not mm. not in terms of like um, a soup or something. No. I, it just be like it, it, it. There's nothing in it that really felt like surprising or original or that bold to me, you know. Mm. And I was I was pretty disappointed on that level because obviously like Claire Denis films are always kind of like bold, and I feel like the things that felt sort of like they were designed to be like that, you know, like it felt very almost like a manufactured. It, it was very like plastic in that way. Like mm. I, I never, I never really felt like it. it broke any sort of new ground and uh you know in part i'm sure i would like it a little more if i watched it now like freed from the expectations that i had for it i'm not convinced your opinion would change much on a second viewing because i do understand where you're coming from but i will say that i enjoyed this film much more than you did clearly Mm. and i actually think overall it's a success even though it's also kind of a failure (laughs) at the same time (laughs) and maybe that's what i appreciate about it it's weird. I do think it has something unique to it, even though it uh, mm. assembles stuff from a lot of other iconic science fiction films. So there's mm. like the garden from Silent Running. It has a bit of an alien vibe to it as well. And uh, obviously things like Solaris, it definitely has an antecedent mm. there. But I, I kind of appreciated the way it, it felt like a weird, lurid exploitation film mm. but with like the mood of an art film or the, the stylistic overlay of an art film yeah I, I, and that, that kind of thing kind of annoys me too to be honest the this film is kind of uh somewhat infamous for the whole fuck box business and there's yeah. this truly bizarre uh sequence in which uh juliet binoche utilizes the fuck box and it basically just feels like a nine inch nails video for like five minutes it felt miscalculated to me in that I yeah. could understand what they were trying to go for. But again, all I was thinking about was like Nine Inch Nail video. And there was something <laughs> sort of faintly embarrassing about the whole sequence. Yeah, because it's, it's supposed to be like this like hypnotic like scene of female sexuality or something. but And it's supposed to be, yeah, transgressive as well, right? And bold. Yeah, it, it, but it never really felt, it just felt like, but that, that's sort of what I mean with the whole, that's, that's kind of the feeling that I got from the whole film, though, is like, basically, yeah, that sequence in, in a nutshell was the whole film for me. Yeah, yeah, but I, I actually found myself enjoying pretty much all of this film, including that scene for, for its weird uh, aesthetics. Huh. I, I think the, the content of the story is quite poor. The dialogue's pretty bad. Yeah, well, you know, I feel like that's a pretty standard, like, you know, foreign filmmaker working in, in the English language. Yeah, I mean, like... The script that they wrote. I mean, like, like the script, screenplay is credited to two French people, including Claire Denis and yeah. a long-time collaborator. But um, she did actually work over a number of years on this project, and uh, there is the involvement of several English-language-speaking people, uh, people who speak English as their first language. Yeah. So it's not just a matter of like poor translation or something. What I think is inelegant about this film is the way it tries to integrate the content of the story or the premise of the story into the narrative as it unfolds. The film, the opening stretch of the film is just like Robert Pattinson alone on a spaceship with a child, right? Uh-huh. And then uh, at some point we see him drag out uh, some other crew members, put them in spacesuits and push them into the void of space, right? Which yeah. I think is actually a great scene, the way that she filmed that. But there's this one moment where we see a train uh, travelling across a forested landscape. And uh, inside one of the carriages is a woman who's conducting an interview with some older professional. And he's like, yes, I'm very concerned about this mission in which we use criminals as guinea pigs in order to... 
make a scientific yeah. breakthrough in space. And it's like, well, thanks. I mean, you could have maybe integrated that a little bit, a little bit more elegantly into the narrative. I found, yeah. I found I feel, that I feel stuff like he, kind of. Uh, I feel like you probably just need, didn't even need to include that sort of exposition. You no, know, that's all. what I was hoping for. I was like, maybe has 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 there been like nervous producers wanting some more clarity in the narrative or something, and that's that's why we have these scenes and some of the voiceover fulfills the same function and it's completely unnecessary. I would have been happy to be kept in the dark mostly. And then it to be revealed at some point that they're criminals. Uh, I think that could have been done in a more interesting way. But I didn't really care because that's just a premise that doesn't seem to be what Claire Denis is that interested in, to be honest. No. I appreciated the fact that uh, this is a sci-fi film more about design than it is about anything to do with scientific accuracy. just felt like an excuse for Claire Denis to engage in some interesting production design. Um, there's certainly an overabundance of the teal and orange uh, color grading that is favored so much, um, but in a, again, in a kind of lurid way, that kind of worked. Mm-hmm. I liked some of the design stuff. I liked some of the no-nonsense stuff within the facility and the way things worked. Like there was a lot of just like lo-fi elements in amongst the sci-fi stuff that I appreciated. It actually. Even though it was very, there was a very artificial quality to it. It also, it also felt more like people lived there than some of the sci-fi films do. Mm. Um, but yeah, I kind of think it is a weird, successful failure. <laughs> mm. And by the end of it, I was happy to go along with it. There was, there was a point maybe, maybe at the halfway mark, or a bit, a bit earlier than that. Once all the exposition had uh, bled into the film, that was going to be quite tedious from that point on, but mm. it worked for me. I like the bit where the uh, that one woman uh, gets like popped. <laughs> that's that's a that's a good moment. Yeah, we should explain that. So one of the stupid plot is that uh, these criminals are being sent to space as guinea pigs, and they're trying to harness the power of black holes or some shit. It didn't make any sense. I, n- I never. Yeah, the the their mission's like not defined really, right? But that's that's as much as we we get, right? Um, and uh, as part of that, uh, occasionally they send out like a test pilot, a little craft within the big craft, to investigate a black hole that they've come across. Yeah. And one of the one of the pilots is about to go on the mission. But uh, she gets killed by another crew member who wants to fly herself. And without the appropriate training or qualification, presumably she goes out and flies towards this black hole. (laughs) And just as she's approaching, her her face just explodes inside her her spacesuit. And it was was really gory and well done. Uh, But it it was actually kind of comical, which I appreciated. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think one of the reasons I, I was sort of disappointed with this film is that I really appreciate her film Trouble Every Day, mm. uh, which is kind of similar in that it approaches like, you know, sort of a vampire mythos, but, you know, layering that sort of like uh, extreme exploitation film and art house ellipticism on it. Mm. And I think that film is much more successful than High Life is. Uh, so I don't know. And that film's got Vincent Gallo. Uh, I, I think another reason I, I didn't really care for this film that much is I think Robert Pattinson's like pretty bad in it. Well, as the well. original idea for this film was to have Vincent Gallo in the lead role, actually. <laughs> that's, that's actually, so and Philip Seymour Hoffman at one point. Philip Seymour Hoffman would have been great. <laughs> I didn't mind Robert Pattinson in this. I found um, I found it to be so like mannered that I was just like, okay, let's just. I, whenever I saw him on screen, I was just like, oh my god, he's. I have a couple like quite over him as an actor. I think. I think I think it might have worked better with someone who wasn't even a star in the lead role, who looked yeah. more grungy and like a criminal. Yeah. But that the film wouldn't have been made if that was the case. So. No. Yeah, that's true. And he's going to be in our next film, apparently. So I mean, mm. if it ever gets made, <laughs> because. If, uh, you know, the coronavirus ever ends and new films can come out. Yeah, I would say I was on board for most of this film. Mm. And I, and, uh, not a fan, but it's okay. Cool.
Shall we close the shop? Yes. Project A plus that was Project A plus Project A plus that was Project A plus Project A plus featuring the both of us Project A plus now it's time to say thanks very much please stay in touch otherwise we might lose the will to fight then we'll close down our website Gonna go make another show. Now we have to say goodbye. Hope you get that dream job. Maybe meet a handsome guy. We pray to God that you'll find happiness before you die. Oh.